Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together visionaries, scientists, healers, artists, and seekers. I'm so grateful that I get to interview these extraordinary thought leaders and share their wisdom with you. And I love listening to the conversations that are led by my co-host and dear friend, Cleo Wade. Cleo is a beautiful poet and author. I deeply admire her and the way she keeps her heart open to the world. Together, we believe that engaging in open-minded, honest, and sometimes difficult conversations has the power to change our lives. All right, over to Cleo. Today, I'm excited to be talking to my dear friend, Julie Rice. As the co-founder and former CEO of SoulCycle, Julie is an entrepreneur who has an incredible passion for building community and bringing people together. Her latest venture is called Peoplehood, which is a guided group practice where people can share, listen, and exercise their interpersonal relationship muscles. I loved getting to sit down with Julie to learn more about what prompted the idea behind Peoplehood and what she has learned after years of researching how communities form, what brings people together, and why connection is so important to our well-being. Okay, let's get to my chat with Julie Rice. I'm so excited to have on the pod, Julie Rice. Something I I noticed that I didn't really have an intention around when I first started doing this podcast, but ended up being, I'd say, a major theme of everyone I've chosen to interview is they are people who have had not just unlikely paths, but unlikely paths because they couldn't find the box they fit in. And so they really innovated their own box in a way. And I must be really attracted to that in friendship. And I'd say that our relationship, Julie, is definitely very rooted in bonding over ideas that nobody's talking about that seem obvious actually to us a lot of the times and kind of living in invention. And so I'm really excited to have you be my last episode of the year. It's really, it's a, it's a great finale for moi. (laughs) Your latest endeavor is peoplehood. And I really want to get into peoplehood. And 
I, I want to talk about how you started your entrepreneurial journey, because I think there are so many people out there who have an idea and don't really know where to begin. And so much of where, how ideas get spotlight is when they're already in like scale and fruition. And, and you're like, but how did you get there? Like, what was the, you know, kind of the first step or what did it look like in your path of entrepreneurship when it was a really small idea? I mean, where the idea was big, but the execution was small. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And to be honest with you, the idea wasn't even so big. I mean, it it was, it was a big idea and it turned out to be a big idea, which is, which is ironic because the idea was really just that people should feel great moving their bodies. They should feel joyful and they should feel empowered. And, you know, the amazing thing about Elizabeth and I is we are sort of entrepreneurs by accident. We just create things that we want to go to. You know, I don't look at the world and say, oh, I see white space around something. This would be a great way to make money. That's never been something that Elizabeth or I have ever really thought about. It's kind of like, you know, when we started SoulCycle, I had just moved back from L.A. where I was working in the movie business. Elizabeth had just moved back from Colorado where she was selling real estate. And for us, the commonality was that we had both moved to New York City, where exercise was not lifestyle. In Los Angeles, I went hiking with my friends. I went biking with my friends. I was in a running group. We used to get up at five in the morning and run, you know, on Third Street by by Santa Monica. And so for me, exercise and the whole motivation for exercising was really just about being with other people. It was a a great way to sort of lose yourself, move your body, connect with other people, de-stress your life. And it was joyful and I felt empowered. And at the end of these exercises, I would feel great. And when I came back to New York, there were big box gyms and boot camps and ways to compete with the person next to you and just something that didn't exist. And so, you know, for Elizabeth and I, and she had experienced something very similar to that in Colorado, where she just spent a lot of her time hiking with her friends. And so we just felt like there was a hole in the market for something that was about joy through moving your body and connecting with other people and supporting other people. And I think, you know, the main thing that we found at Soul Cycle was that in those dark rooms with the music playing and instructors saying inspirational things to you about how you could be more than you thought you were, people, you know, people really self-actualized and they really found the kind of unwavering support that they found was hard, especially in big cities to find. And so that is really, you know, I think that our thesis for entrepreneurship is just create things that you want to see in the world or that you yourself would go to. Yeah. It's interesting because we've talked about that with heart talk. My first book was like that for me. I was like, there's just, there's not the book for the person that felt so busy and so overwhelmed, but just needed a small thing in the day where it didn't, you could read just the page or you could not. And there was something very artful about it being rooted in poetry, even though there was prose and you know, touching on these things so that you could kind of sit with the idea in a light space before doing a deep dive, like there were books on shame, but sometimes you just need one kind of idea on shame that can start to unlock that journey for you. And then you can move forward with other books and other writers and other things, but it felt like a way that people could practice something really 
easily, especially as I saw our brains start to change online and see that we just kind of wanted this kind of comment section. That's the longest we could kind of give attention, our attention span to. It's funny because it's like, I, well, obviously, you know, I'm, you know, one of your biggest fans, I, I, I live with your books by my bedside and I read those pages every single day to inspire myself, especially as a second time entrepreneur in startup life. But one thing that I think is similar with something like Heart Talk and something like Soul Cycle is I used to always say, you know, to me, Soul Cycle was like a gateway drug for exercise. Yeah. It's never my intention to train triathletes or create Olympians. Some people went on to become crazy athletes because Soul Cycle was kind of the trigger that got them started. But for me, it was really designed for that person who was just getting off their couch and for them to spend 45 minutes on a bike, understanding what it felt like to feel good inside of your own body mm. while you were moving was really it. And if you were a person that, you know, this lit a match for you to go and do something super athletic, great. And if it was just about those 45 minutes, that was great too. And I think the same thing about your books. It's like, they really turn the lights on for people. You know, I really think when you read that page in Heart Talk, it's such an easy way to begin to access deeper thoughts and your own inner life in a way that sometimes is too hard for people to have to wade through chapters and silent retreats and all those kind of things. You know, it's one thing that's interesting. And I, I'd love to know what this was like for you, this, that the jump from working, you know, a kind of nine to five ish job, but something where it was kind of your, the goals were clear because they were set by others. The hours were clear because they were set by others. I remember because as someone who also had a day job before I, you know, could, could kind of invent in my own field. I, I remember having this light bulb moment that was like, if I can have that much, um, cause I was someone who was like always on time and always like, you know, gave a thousand percent and always was kind of noticeably, you know, the hardest worker in the room kind of thing, or I felt I at least tried to be that. And I remember thinking if I could have this dedication and discipline towards someone else's goals that I, I honestly don't even, didn't even care about, like, and I don't even mean that in a rude way. I just, it, I didn't have a, you know, any skin in the game. It wasn't my vision. It wasn't my, my passion. I was like, I should be able to give myself 10 times more of that. And that's how I became a person who would wake up at 6am and write every day. But I, I remember in the in-between period when I kind of got rid of that job and then I, you know, I had other kind of projects and things I was hired to do and, and, and whatever. And I was kind of like, wait, when, cause I didn't know, like, when do you sit down to write a book? Like, what do you, <laughs> you know, like all of a sudden you're like, okay, I think I have this idea. Now I live with this idea and how do I create a work structure around it? Um, especially because what I imagined for you is that you were, wanted to do it differently, creating a, a work environment that was different and not, you know, you can't have something called soul cycle and have a soul crushing workspace. And so how did you kind of, you know, did you have, were your parents, people who you saw work for themselves or, or what was your kind of model for making that jump to, I work here to everyone here works for me? Yeah, totally. Well, first of all, I just want to say, I really do think, you know, to your, to the point of your last question, I actually think the hardest part about becoming an entrepreneur or having a big idea is the quitting of your last job or the mm -hmm. paycheck that pays your rent. To me, that is always the scariest part is just, you know, turning off the old life because yeah. 
it's just a huge risk. And I think that once you've done that, you're kind of in it. For me, you know, I grew up in Hollywood, so it was sort of a war of attrition. I mean, you came in first, you left last. Mm-hmm. You, there was no, no, there was no answering. No, you just figured it out. There were a hundred people that wanted your little desk that wouldn't even pay a quarter of your rent, and so. You know, I I did not grow up in a culture of kind of, you know, work-life balance or creating an environment that was, you know, loving to work in. But I think that, you know, I always like to say that I do think that, you know, work environments and products that come from entrepreneurs, the DNA of them is a real reflection of their founders. And I think Elizabeth and I started really early on making choices. We used to say our litmus test was we had four daughters between us. Um, And we used to always say when we would make a decision about how we wanted our workplace to operate, like, is this the place we would want our girls to go to work? And when you have like a clear sort of North Star like that, oh my God, I would never let my daughter work at the place that takes the lesser health insurance or, you know, that is, you know, making somebody feel so badly about an idea that didn't work out or where they feel like they can't contribute or give an idea because it would be, you know, judged or. So I think that we always tried to make decisions for both our customers and our employees that, you know, we're really empowering and we're we're loving and most of all, really acknowledged people. I think something that I really learned as we grew our company was, you know, you don't people, people, both customers and employees don't necessarily always need to get what they came into the meeting for. You're not always giving somebody a raise or time off. But what people do need or you're not giving a customer their money back or you are. Right. But I think people need to be heard. I think you need to create an environment where people feel like they matter, where they think their voice is at least taken into consideration. And I think that's something that we were always striving for. And to be honest with you, as a first-time entrepreneur, as a person that just loves to learn, I mean, that's the whole reason that I continue to create things is I just want to continue to learn about the world and be a part of a collaborative process. You know, I really do value everybody's voice. To me, I never know who the person in the room is that's going to teach me something or have the great idea. And so those are always the environments that that I try to create. And also when you create for community experience, don't you feel like because everyone has a different background, no matter how similar they could have been, but everyone has a different lived experience and that experience is what becomes the wisdom we hope to activate into art, into spaces, into products so that they actually can be of service. Because if not, I feel like you're kind of like just throwing junk out in, into the world. Definitely. And with both Soul Cycle and Peoplehood, you know, when people always ask me, you know, who is Soul Cycle for? Or who is Peoplehood for? And I always have the same answer, which is that it's a human experience. We all need connection. We all need to move through things. We all need time to self-reflect. So I'd love, you know, as as every investor and marketer would like to, to tell you, you know, we need to narrow down the demographic. Who are we making this for? You know, sadly, all human beings need to be loved and need to matter. And so if you don't take the input of the shared collective experience into the room when you're designing community like that, 
you know, my lived experience is very different than your lived experience, which is very different than the other person in the room. And all of those experiences do need to be taken into consideration as you are, you know, creating for other people. Otherwise, you're just doing it in a vacuum. Yeah. Every time I write something, I always say it, if, and when I'm in the editing process, one of the kind of major boxes I have to tick for the words to be worthy of a page is could my mom and her friends in the kitchen feel themselves in this or see this themselves in this? Because, you know, we, they, we live such completely different lives. And so when I think about them being in Louisiana, you know, not, not viewing themselves as spiritual people. You know, I think a lot of the times when you get too caught up and when a marketer or someone says like, you know, who is this, who is this, who is this? You, you, you lose the ability to create things for our universal shared experience, which drastically separates us. Do you know which, and in a very separating world, it's so critical to create any type of community product thing, whatever space that says, okay, I, I do get that your identity is this and mine might be this. And no matter what, we have this in common because that, 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 it, that always does exist. There's no way that somewhat there's a single person on this earth that has truly nothing in common with you. Well, actually, that's really what's so amazing about these peoplehood rooms. You know, you go into these rooms, you're with 15 other strangers and you sit in a circle and you look around. And of course, because all of our minds go to like judgment first, we go like, oh, I'm going to have nothing in common with that person. That person's too young. That person's too old that, you know, and then literally by the time we're done with our first share going around the circle, which is 30 seconds a person. It's all you can do to keep from leaning over to the person next to you and say, oh my goodness, that happened to me too. Or, you know, yelling out across the school to somebody, let me tell you about where to find the answer to that. You know, whatever it is, we so quickly recognize ourselves in each other when we give it a moment. And I think that's right. I actually think that that is something that's really missing from this world is, you know, our ability to take a moment to recognize the universality. Is that the correct word that Mm -hmm. I'm using? That we all have, because, you know, it is, it is so, it is so easy to find that. And I I agree with you. I love that. Your, whether your mom and her friend in their kitchen in Louisiana can relate to it because it's just literally the best test that you could give something. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Toomey has a soft side. Discover their new Asser bag collection in its pillowy pleats, satin finish, and crescent shape. Asser is the bag to carry for your 9 to 5 and the 5 to 9 plans that follow. Versatility, after all, is Toomey's signature. Shop the full Asser collection on Toomey.com or at a Toomey store near you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So I want to talk about peoplehood because for anyone who doesn't, I mean, if you follow me, you know that I, I reference peoplehood a lot and, and I, I love peoplehood and, and we did, I did an event at peoplehood with remember I love, and it's such a beautiful space by the way, but I kind of want to talk about how, cause it's so cool to have, you know, to in a world where people, I, I feel seek to do and do and do and build and build and build to sell and then peace out this idea that you're, you can have the biggest possible idea that is so, you know, widely admired and beloved, like 
like soul cycle and then say, I'm not done with the world, I think is so amazing. And it really actually feels more like an artist. Like, you know, an artist is never going to create their greatest work and then never want to paint again or never want to write again. They just, they just go to work and work with their next idea. But what's really interesting about peoplehood, and I'd love for you to talk about the seed of like where the very, very first, even like kind of, you got a seed of a seed of a seed, like the tiniest, like idea that started to create this, um, because what I think is interesting about peoplehood, I mean, yeah, peoplehood is that it is, it's very different than soul cycle while somehow ending with kind of, I think the same really community centered, you know, like gift to society in a way. Do you feel that it's an extension of the ideas around soul cycle? I'd love to know where it kind of starts. Definitely. Look, I think that after, you know, after being at SoulCycle for 10 years, what I really saw happening for people that they would go in those dark rooms and they would have these epiphanies and these aha moments, which were so much inspired by being, you know, so supported in those rooms. And they would feel like they wanted to come out and, you know, call their mom or tell someone they were sorry or, you know, let some make a change in their lives. And yet, People don't really have the skills to do that. I think we all have moments where we, we, we understand how we'd like to connect with other people. And yet we spend very little time in our lives and, and nobody actually teaches us things like how to listen. I mean, everybody thinks they're a good listener. And the truth is, if you ask their friends or their family, most people would say that they they don't find other people to be very good listeners. Yeah. It sounds easy, but it's actually a really hard thing to do. And so I, you know, I think that after observing the fact that, you know, people with the lights would come on and people would go into the streets and there would, there really were no places for people to, you know, kind of understand how to have these conversations, have the structure to have these conversations. And then I will also say, you know, Spencer and I went through a period in our marriage when we had our first child and it became very obvious, you know, to us that, you know, we did not know how to communicate with each other. We went from being two people that could do whatever they wanted and still have fabulous date nights and do all the fun mm-hmm. things we wanted to do together to being two people that now had this other person to care for and somebody had to leave work early and somebody had to stay home from the gym in the morning. And we basically got into this conversation pattern of, you know, it didn't matter what we were talking about. It was just like, whose time is more important? Yeah. Who is, you know, who is doing more here? And And then you're only, you actually live in conflict. And sometimes the conflict isn't like piping hot, but you are in a space of conflict at all times. At all times. Exactly. Exactly right. So the littlest things, you know, who is, you know, who's, who is doing the dishes, who is picking up dry cleaning, it, it all becomes on a scoreboard. Right. And so Um, somebody recommended a book to us. Uh, It was actually called Getting the Love You Want. And I love that book. Yeah, they said- You you gave it to me. Yeah, Yeah. they said, read the book. And if you like it, go and do the workshop. And uh, we did. 
And we slowly but surely began to uh, change our communication pattern by really just learning to listen to each other. You know, rather than two people coming to a conversation with their own points of view where one person is talking, but the other person is really just forming, you know, the rebuttal in their head, there's no listening going on. You're just thinking, when is my husband going to stop talking so that I can say how it really is, mm -hmm. right? Um, but by actually, you know, changing the structure of the way we have dialogue by not being allowed to respond, not being allowed to give your opinion, not you shooting the other person by only no. being an active listener, you have no choice but to take in somebody else's point of view. And listen, this is not intuitive or instinctual. I mean, this is something that you continue to practice over time. It's like any muscle that you build in the gym. It's like, you know, any... Any other practice that you build, you run one mile, then you run three miles, then you run five miles. This is one of those things that is, it's constant work, but taking that pause, allowing somebody else to get through their point of view, just, you know, keeping eye contact and letting them know they are being seen and you understand you do not have to agree. You do not have to want the same thing, but what you need to do is to make time to process somebody else's point of view and get their world. And I will say that in a 20 year marriage, we have completely changed a communication pattern and we don't live in conflict anymore because that's just not what the way that we talk to each other or the way that we feel. And I think that, you know, and I think that by practicing something like peoplehood, where we teach you active listening, where we teach you how to take a pause, where we teach you how to, you know, play it back so that, you know, you can reflect to somebody what you heard them say. If you practice something like that over and over, you begin to watch the world around you change. First of all, you don't feel so alone because you have a place to process and you have other people acknowledging your thoughts and that they can see the way that you're feeling. And then as you're having these self-reflections in this room, you're also building your empathy and listening and understanding muscles. And people that come on a regular basis to peoplehood, you know, whether it's the work that we're doing with teams and offices or couples that we're working with in couplehood or people just coming into regular peoplehood, they are telling us that like 60 minutes in couplehood and I'm having different conversations with my partner than I have in a year, you know, two team meetings, doing them in the structure of peoplehood. And all of a sudden we're able to collaborate productively, you know, dinner tables are changing. And I think that is really, you know, that's really something for us to think about because we make time to meet with people all day long in our in our work lives, you know, obligations, we make all this time to take meetings that are not even important to us. And yet mm -hmm. we so seldomly take an hour to say that, like, I want to have a meeting, meaning like a deep connection where I actually move something forward with a person that I love or care about. Mm -hmm. Which is so ironic because, you know, if we really looked at our calendars and thought about all the things that we could take out to just substitute with having, you know, an hour with a child or a partner or a teammate, it's pretty powerful. Well, it's also just this level of real, someone once said that attention and awareness are completely different things. Like you bring, when you bring, you know, often people, we think people just want our attention when actually they what they're hoping, what they want is for us to bring awareness to what's happening, which is that like, we are lovingly being completely and utterly present in the moment. So it's not just about like, okay, like, you know, my kids being like, mom, 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 pulling on my chair. It's like, 
I could so easily say like, oh, like she just like, I, I need to give her some attention right now. And it's like, it's actually that I'm multitasking when I need to be actually giving, bringing awareness to the space I'm holding with my three-year-old. And, and, and it, and it's just, it is actually that simple, but you, you do have to have language for that, a practice for that ideas that help click your, in your mind in that way. I mean, I, I think that something that's so powerful that people forget is that like, you can hear one idea or one like quote or one thing. Like I remember our friend, Ellen, Dr. Ellen Bora said to me one day, she said that in her relationship, the most profound shift they ever had was when they changed the language and, and, and also embodying this language differently of will we get through this to how, how do we get through this? Like the can will, like the question of like, will we make it or how do we make it like that change? And something I really love about peoplehood is that it's, it's not, will we be able to go to work together, be in this relationship together? It's, it's not, it's not taking these like kind of stakes of perhaps we just need to part and perhaps we just need to, it it takes that out and it just says, okay, how do we do this? And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about like a formula that you guys kind of, you know, why you think it works and why the, why the, if, if that, if someone walked into peoplehood in New York city tomorrow, what, what kind of goes on? Cause it's kind of hard to imagine in a way. I mean, I, I feel, I know, cause I know so much about it, but for someone who's never heard of it, what, what is, what, what goes on when you walk in the door? Definitely. Well, first of all, you can do it online too. Oh my um, God. So you, can do it, you can do it digitally or you can do it in New York city, which is both great because, you know, some people like one or the other and some people like to combine them. And so, you know, we start the sessions and we start them with just, you know, getting everybody's voice in the room. It's a circle of people. Sometimes you're coming with someone, you know, and sometimes it's just a, you know, a circle full of strangers, but we, you know, we get everybody to talk about something pretty easy. What's one thing that's true for you today? I'm, I'm Julie and I'm, you know, drinking a, a ginger ale in the middle of the afternoon type of thing. But I think, and then we go into some breath work and we've, we've really done a lot of studying in terms of, you know, what is a quick round of breath work we can do that will take our brains out of fight or flight, take us out of the stresses of our day, put us into a more relaxed and collaborative mode so we can begin to really open up our minds and hear each other. Then we go around and we do another community share. I should say there's about 15 or 16 people in the room. And then we break into some partner work. And that's really where we practice our uh, listening skills, our empathy muscles. We practice what we call higher listening, where uh, at each peoplehood session, there is definitely some sort of an intention or a prompt, whether we're talking about love or money or being a parent of a young child, there's all different types of intentions we have for, for the different sessions that we do. And we break into partners and we each have three minutes to be the listener and three minutes to be the sharer. And the listener just holds space while the sharer answers the prompt and then we switch. And there's no judgment, there's no opinions, there's no giving advice, there's no piggybacking, oh my goodness, me too, you should hear what happened with me. And the funny thing is, you know, when you tell people that's what they're going to do in the room, everybody goes, we're just going to listen. And then when people come out of the room, everybody goes, oh my gosh, it was so hard to listen. 
Like I wanted to say this, or I wanted to tell you that, or, you know, to your point of, we all have so much more in common than we think we do. And, you know, then we, we go into a second breakout or we practice another skill. It could be learning how to validate somebody. It could be learning how to ask them an incisive question. It could be just reflecting back what you've heard to make sure that you're hearing people correctly. Um, and then we do a little bit of intention setting so that we can move forward and take some of the stuff we learned in the room with us. And so it's a one hour session. It's a lot of fun. We set it to great music. It always feels very safe in the room. It doesn't feel it's very structured. So there's a guide that takes you through it. The guides are really dynamic and they're willing to get vulnerable and they're always willing to share first. So by the time you're done hearing their stories, everyone in the room feels pretty comfortable to open up about their own stories. And I would say we really take you on a journey through just getting you to open up, to begin to reflect back on what's going on in your life, to begin to have some self-awareness around things that you may or may not want to do differently, and then to take some of that out of the room with you and figure out how you can show up in the relationships in your life in a way that feels like will be more productive. And so it's it's really interesting. And you know, I'll just say that this whole idea of social and relational health as something that we work on or that becomes part of our wellness practice, I think is kind of a new idea, but so important because when you really think about it, you know, we cannot feel well physically or mentally unless we are feeling loved uh, by the people around us. And the way that we do that is, is by being good listeners and, and really spending intentional time. I think that is the, the real key also. I think just by making time to put something like peoplehood into your life, you're already kind of stepping up to the plate and making that exact commitment that you were talking about, which is, you know, it's not a how or are we going to make it through this or will we? I think when you enter a place like peoplehood, what you're saying is like, I am going to get better at this. I'm mm -hmm. going to figure out how to work through these things in my life. And um, the last thing I'll say to you is the two 20-year relationships I have in my life, which are with Elizabeth, my business partner, and Spencer, who is my husband. There is a clear moment when I think about it in each of those relationships. You know, with Elizabeth, it was around a very specific business decision. We had hit a crossroads in, in our business. And there was a, a moment where we could have just said, like, you know what? We don't see this the same way. This is mm -hmm. not going to work out. And with Spencer, it was the moment that I referred to when we had our first child, where it just got really hard. And I really do believe that in those moments, people make intentional choices. They either close the door and they say, like, I am staying in this. I'm going to figure it out. Or, um, you, you know, it, it could, maybe, will it work out or not? But I think the really important thing for people to know that, you know, like anything else in life, you know, relationships are a process and they take time and attention and work and love and the same, you know, grit and ambition that you give to your career and all the other things need to go into relationships. They don't just happen. I have so many thoughts about what you just said, but one is that, you know, there's this page in Remember Love that says something like, when the material is at the center of my goals, I find that when I cross the finish line, even if I'm holding the first place gold medal, there's some loneliness there. But when mm -hmm. the relational is at the center of my goals, whether I finish first or last, I'm what's held. And it's really fascinating because you know, and you're seeing it more devastatingly, more and more chronically, you know, this 
you know, the depression coming out of our hustle and grind culture, because it's a very go it alone culture. And in that culture, you and I have both been through the yes. ringer in too, by the way. So I don't say that from a, some kind of spiritual holier than thou place. You know, we are both, I think, overachieving type A, you know, do it all people in recovery. <laughs> and I think something else that really stood out to me was that when, you know, every person I'm either have been the most profoundly hurt by or am just very unattracted to as far as like, I just feel like, mm, I don't, I just don't connect with them. If I meet them, I could say that they have, that their, that their biggest standout quality is that they do not listen. Like, and I can't tell you how many times I've said, if I, have you know, talked about, you know, hard relationships in my life, I'll just say, you know, they just do not hear me. They do not hear me when I speak. They do not hear me. And it's so painful and it creates so much rupture in family and in friendships. It's interesting because I notice that the people who really yearn for relationships and yearn for friendships, I've met so many people who I knew all they wanted to do was, you know, be friends or be in community or be together. And I was like, but you don't listen. Like we could never be friends because you do not listen to others. There is something, whether it's anxiety, um, whether it's just habits, whether it's a, a desire to only value what you know which a lot of people do, right? They, they just value what they know in a way that is so critical to how they identify themselves that it is impossible for them to listen. And then it is impossible for them to have the type of deep, meaningful connections and community that they crave. Yes, that is exactly right. I mean, that is the irony. You know, there's, there's that joke about the person that goes to the dinner party and wants to be the most entertaining person. So they just tell stories the entire night. And when everybody leaves, the person that they thought was the most interesting was the person that said nothing because they just sat there and listened to them. Yes. Um, and that is, you know, that is that is the grand irony. People people want to be heard. People want to feel seen. And we do not need to all have the same point of view. We don't have to agree on everything, but what we do have to do is hold space for each other's point of view. My hope with peoplehood is that, you know, first we change dinner tables a little bit so that families can live to agree to disagree, right? And then we change schools and then we change workplaces and eventually we can change cities and countries because the thing is, we don't all have to want the same thing. But everybody deserves to be heard and everybody deserves to be acknowledged. And that is really the way that we ultimately create change in communication patterns. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. 
what do you think about how like kind of spiritual texts and tools and self-care, I think over the past, you know, five years have never had more of a moment in a way, mm-hmm. while at the same time, we feel more disconnected than others. This, and I'm I'm totally thinking out loud, but it's like, do you think that there is this idea of almost taking the, that like kind of infographic or whatever you're seeing online that is like sparking something in you and then saying, okay, like if you don't put it into practice, like I say that all the time about spirituality. I'm like, if you just think, you know, or felt like enlightened, like that is ego. If you practice what sparks something in you, that is spirituality. Like, but there is no spirituality without practice. And do you think that is what we're lacking? Exactly. And to be perfectly honest with you, you know, not, you know, not, 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 not to go back and shamelessly plug peoplehood, but that really to us, to me, that really, again, when you talk about a gateway drug or something, it's like, we're all scrolling all day. Exactly what you said, infographics, inspirational quotes. You know, I read three lines of something, I feel changed by it. But the truth is, unless we are three-dimensionally practicing things, getting better at things, you don't read a book about playing tennis and think I'm a good tennis player now. Right, right, you don't right. Read a or, or try or do it one day and then just think, you yeah. You don't read a quote about being a champion and think, oh my gosh, you know, I've won a medal. You know, and so I think it's really, really interesting. And, you know, that's why with something like peoplehood where, Literally, you can drop in every hour on the hour and spend 60 minutes actually proactively getting better, you know, better at doing something like this. I think that's right. I think that we all, you know, we all live kind of in this constant scroll. And so we feel like, you know, we are somehow getting it, but getting elevating ourselves when in actuality, that is not necessarily the case. And like you said, look, Organized religion is on the decline. We have, we're slowly but surely watching, you know, community spaces disappear. It's it's actually very interesting, you know, post-COVID behaviors, I do think, are still yeah. really fascinating. What people want to show up for, what people are willing to come out for. Uh, but that's all just to say that we are becoming more disconnected than ever. And unless, you know, I think, you know, that's something that you and I always share as community builders, I do think that... You know, when you talk about out there ideas, we've got to just keep throwing them out there because people have got to just keep trying to connect to each other and whether we need to give them spaces or skills or really easy ways to insert themselves in that process. We need to, we need to be trying that because people are lonely. It's also, it's like, we have like high communication, low connection culture. That's correct. It's just nothing but communicating and that is not connection. Do you know if I, if I, cause communicate a stop sign is communication, right? Like I don't feel connected to the message. And so it, it I think it's so interesting to want to solve this for people in some way, because, you know, people are so, they are moving through so much sadness um, and there's so much grief and there's so much, there's, there's so many places where we feel like, we're trying to figure out where does it belong? Like you can't really hold it. Them, they can't really hold it alone. And, but where, where do I bring it and what do I do with it? And, you know, we've seen so many communities benefit from, you know, and I know that AA was a model that you looked at when you were creating peoplehood, because when you are attempting to do something to kind of 
better yourself or whatever it might, you know, kind of evolve something or, 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 or heal something, having a regular way to talk about it, be with others on it, like having a format for how to discuss it is like what has kept people sober and what helped people kind of heal, you know, things that they, you know, were living in discomfort within their bodies. Look, I'm a joiner. I mean, I'm a real, like, like I love community, you know, to me, it's like, I, it's, it's, it's why I continue to create things as an entrepreneur selfishly. It's like, I love being in the middle of collaborative chaos in my office. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm that rare, that rare old person that still makes people come in four days a week, mostly because I want to see them, you know, (laughs) but the truth is that I, you know, I really believe to me, the accountability and also the, the support that you get from other people has kept me on track in every way in my life. You know, whether it has been with exercise or parenting or whatever, you know, or working, it has has always been, you know, my accountability to other people. And by the way, not accountability in like a hierarchical way, meaning like, you know, you're my boss and I have to show up for you. Accountability just in the way that, you know, we all play our part in making this little ecosystem loving and supportive. You know, I have, I have a group of seven moms, you know, we call ourselves the squad on our text chain. You know, we started, we started the squad when our girls were in fourth grade, our girls are in college now. You know, I don't think our girls keep in touch with each other, but the truth is we start at six in the morning and we end at 11 o'clock at night when the last person closes their eyes. You know, and we're talking about everything from, you know, what type of estrogen we're now taking in our fifties yeah. to, you know, whose kid wants to come home from school because they're so unhappy and all the things yeah. in between. But everybody is responsible for for their job in this little, you know, squad of people. And it's accountability that has really helped us as a village to raise all these girls together. And I will say that 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 group of friends has been such a comfort to me as I have gone through sort of my first round of parenthood. And I love that. I love that for everything. And so I do really believe that the real cure for loneliness is for us to rally around each other. It's like you said, we have never felt like we know people more because we can scroll all day long and see what you're wearing and what lipstick you're putting on and what travel you've done and all the fabulous things that you've gone to. And yet we know so little about people really. We are, you know, I I cannot tell you, you know, when I catch up with people and I'm like, oh my God, you've been so busy lately or whatever. And they'll actually tell me something that's so antithetical to what I have seen on their social media scroll in the past few weeks that, it's, it's pretty amazing and something to really keep in mind. You know, my kind of final thought on that is that, you know, so often I think people don't want to go into the space to make a friend. And I, I, I'd imagine that's a big hurdle for you guys, right? Is that people are like, sh- like, what does it say about me to go in somewhere to, to share this? Does it mean I'm not able to share it somewhere else? You know, we have so much anxiety about taking off our masks and I, I think it's really important to remember that most friendships are created from circumstance. So whether it's that y'all all had the circumstance of a, it just happened to be a school and you had kids in that same school and they were in that same grade. And now you have been friends for 15 years and I'm friends with my best friends from childhood, but we were in the same seventh grade homeroom. And yes. we just were. And so that, so I, I do think that for anyone who feels like, oh, like I, I can't go here to make friends. 
actually everything is you went here to make friends. Every friend I have now that I live in Los Angeles is because I moved to Los Angeles. The friends, my first group of friends I had when I moved to New York City, I worked with them at my day job. Truly, like my two closest friends, Lisa and Kate, we worked together. My my friend Dree, we worked together. My, you know, and my friend Jenna, who I've been friends with since I was 17, we interned together. We went to a space and in the space we made friends. And so I think to remove that stigma and 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 actually allow yourself to flow into how natural it is to go somewhere to meet people. It's just that we're not used to saying I'm going here to meet people. It's just that I have to go here for work or I have to go here for school and da, da, da. And within that, I meet people. And it's actually cooler to do it, I think, in this peoplehood format because it's so highly intentional for connection. You're going to have less friendship breakups because you have higher integrity connections. You're going to have less kind of like hurtful exchanges because you are trying to heal the ways in which you communicate and, and, and connect uh, to be better friends and to be better partners or this or that. And so I'm personally so grateful that you're doing this. And I hope that more people will feel inclined to, to go if you are feeling lonely, because I do know so many people are feeling so alone. Yeah. And I think you also bring up a really good point, which is, you know, most people are working remotely these days. When you think about where we all met our best friends, they were workplaces. And that is one thing that I have to say as, as both an entrepreneur and a community builder that I do worry about, which is that, you know, I keep saying if my daughter, when she graduates from college in three years, tells me that, you know, she got a great job and now she's going, you know, into our little home office to go to work every day, I will not be happy about that. Yeah. I mean, that is, you know, it, where is she going to meet friends and, you know, and partners and all the things. And so I do think that there is nothing about seeking out spaces like this, especially since we're being stripped of them, that is at all weird. And the last yeah. thing I'll tell you about people that is we've, we've tried to make it really cool. You know, there's coffee, there's merch, there's wine. It doesn't feel at all like group therapy. It, it, feels, cool. like, it feels like a place you go for a date night or a hang with a friend. Um, and I, I will say from our event, I didn't have a single person who didn't say how great it felt and how cool the space was and didn't, and, and people who didn't want to go back because, you know, also we are a people of community centers and JCCs and, 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 and recs and rec spaces where you, you know, polka dance or, or like to go play poker or do these things to build communities that are meaningful. We've always had had this and it's it's sad that our kind of public resources are so drained that there's not an investment of this, but these these investments in parks and rec centers and spaces for kids to play is because we know that space creating space is what builds community. And so it's so great that you're you're doing this in the best location, by the way. And I'm I'm so grateful to you for your time. And I love you so much. And I'm so grateful that you're bringing peoplehood into the world and that you can do it online. So that's so amazing. Uh, so anyone listening could join a peoplehood group tomorrow. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Julie Rice. Before we end, I wanted to mention that for the last episode of the year, I'll be doing a special Ask Me Anything episode on reflections and resolutions. If you have a question that you'd like me to answer on the pod, feel free to do so through my Instagram. 
I am at Clea Wade. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Goop Podcast.